You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. So what would you be willing to sacrifice for your faith in Christ. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Acts, Acts chapter 4. And the past few months, Pastor Jeff has been talking about this movement of the early church. And last week, we saw how Peter and John, after they healed a lame man, were taken captive by the uh, the religious leaders of the time, almost interrogated. And you have Peter and John standing boldly for their faith, boldly for the gospel. And at the end, these religious leaders threaten them. Now, we don't know what these threats are, but I can imagine that it has to do something with them potentially losing their life for them to continue to speak the gospel. And here's why we can say that. It's because these same people are the people who condemned Christ on a cross because of that same message. So that's what leads us to Acts chapter 4, starting with verse 23. And it says this, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were with one heart and soul, and no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field, 
that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you again that we can come together and worship freely. Worship you freely, Lord. I say to you, please, with each one of us this morning, break down our walls of pride and selfishness around our hearts and allow you to speak to us this morning. And God, I pray that you speak through me, knowing that I am weak and that you are strong, Lord. And then let your message be spoken this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to tell you, I begin by telling you uh, two stories of two different churches. Okay? The first church is a church I'm familiar with. But before I, before I tell the story, I want to preface that it's not a church that you know. It is not in our county, not our community. Uh, but there is a church that I'm familiar with, and we'll just call this church the Community Church. And this church started out extremely strong here, and it was a church in, here in America, started really strong, was following Christ, was reaching people for Christ. And then years down the road, they had people from inside the church and outside the church uh, coming to them saying, hey, you need to have LGBTQ leadership within this church and in, inside the congregation leadership positions. So they were hearing this political correctness from inside the church and outside the church. Now there's another church, and this church is located in Iran. And this uh, pastor in Iran, we'll just call his name Hal. His name is very hard to pronounce. So we'll just call him Hal. And Pastor Hal um, started a church, planting a church in his home. Because uh, in this community, in this country, it's very dangerous to have a church. You can't have a church uh, building. So they were meeting in homes. And so he was leading his congregation, about 30 or 40 people within his home, and one Sunday morning, as he's leading his congregation, his door is broken down. Men come in to his house armed with machine guns, put bags over his head and the members of his congregation. And as they take the bags off, he finds himself in a van. He looks out the window and realizes he's going to an Iranian prison. And as he's, as he's put in this prison, there is feelings of why, God, are you allowing me to go through this and put me through this and my congregation through this? See, here in the, uh, in the early church, we have James, excuse me, when you have uh, Peter and John, where they're persecuted, they're basically given threats. We know the, pos- the great possibility that these threats were actually threats of, on their life to, if they continued to speak the gospel. As we look this morning, we're going to look at what we should be doing as a church when persecution strikes. Because here's the reality. All throughout history, every free country, all throughout history where Christians were free to worship, every single one of those countries now just about, there is persecution among believers. So here's the reality. There's going to be persecution here in America eventually. We don't know when. It may, be in my, it may not be in my lifetime, may not be in my kid's lifetime or my grandkid's lifetime, but don't get me wrong, it will happen eventually here. So how are we going to respond? So let's look at how the early church responded to their persecution. 
The first thing we see here, when you look at verse 23, it says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now, when you look at the Greek word here for, that's translated to friends, it also is translated into their own. So what it's saying is that they are among other believers. Now, we don't know how many that is. We don't know if it's a small group, large group. We don't know that, but we know the fact is that they first went to other believers. So wh why would they go to their friends right after threats were made to them by the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of this time? It's because they understood that church is not an individual. Church is a people. Church is not these four walls. Not This building is not worship up here. It's not children's department, church ministry. It's not the youth ministry. None of that is church. You are the church. The church is a people. If we took away our buildings, we took away all of our programs, the church still remains. And they understood that. And they understood that enduring the, enduring the race of our faith comes with endurance, and endurance is empowered in a group rather than an individual. So we look at Proverbs 27, 17. Solomon says, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. We, as a group, as a people of believers, help each other grow in our faith. Even Matthew 18, 20, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So if we know this, we know that Christian community, the community of, of believers coming together, we know that's important. Why don't we make that a priority in our life? Why don't we make that a priority? Why do we put other things like our jobs, money, cars, you name it, you put something other than spending time with other believers and growing our faith together in complete unity and community. Why do we neglect that in worship together? See, between research by Barner, Pew Research, and Gallup, the average church attendance is now, here in America, about once a month. A regular attender in churches here in America, it's about once a month. That means the average attender here in America attends church 12 times a year. So Hebrews 10, 25 to 20, excuse me, 10, 24 to 25 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Are we making the community of believers a priority in our life? So we see that this early church, they didn't neglect the community of believers. But also we see that they went to God in prayer. We look at verse 24. It says, And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. So it says they lifted the voices together. The, the Greek phrase here literally means with one mind. They were in complete unity together coming to God. 
So what what so we're going to actually break this prayer down. Why exactly? How do they pray to God? We first see that they go to Him in reverence. Again, verse twenty four says, "When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea, everything in them. So we need to understand, see, we need to understand who God is. See, God is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. God created absolutely everything, created this planet, created this universe, created the cosmos, created absolutely everything. We need to understand who we are in retrospect to God. See, God is awesome and worthy of all glory, and worthy of all praise. Next thing we see is that they acknowledge his plan. When you look at verse 25, it says, And through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against, excuse me, against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So we see in verses 25 to 26, they're actually quoting Psalms, uh, Psalms 2, 1 through 2. And this is a psalm by King David. And King David is pointing to the upcoming Messiah. And this early church understood that that psalm of, by David was already fulfilled in their time. They understood that this was already fulfilled. They understood, the early church understood that the condemnation of Herod, Pilate, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel, uh, by condemning Jesus on the cross, was pointing to this psalm, how this was already fulfilled in their time. And we go on to verse 28. And it says, To do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. We need to, to put complete trust in God and understanding He is in control. So we understand here, this early church, understand that this is fulfilled they already been fulfilled. We under, they understood that this was fulfilled by Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel by condemning Christ. They understood this, but they understood that God it was in control the whole time. So we need to put complete trust in God, understand that He's in control. See, here's, here's the reality. Most of us feel like we're in control of our own life. We feel like we're in control of the job we have, the promotion we have, the house we have, the cars we have, the stuff we have, we feel like that we are in control. But here's the reality. God actually allows you to have that job, allows you to have that promotion, allows you to have your stuff. You are not really in control. Your con having control is actually an illusion. God is ultimately in control. See, the reality is that no matter how much we try to control life, again, God is in control. So why don't you just yield to him and let him take over? In Colossians 1.17, it says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
So you want to know if you're not, not giving God control of your life? I'm going to give you a question. How you can tell if, if God is really not in control of your life. How worried or how anxious are you? How worried or how anxious are you? Now, I know some, some people struggle with mental, uh, mental disability and struggle with anxiety. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about those who struggle, constantly struggle worry and anxiety outside of a medical condition. So when you look at Luke 12, 21, it says this, and this is Jesus speaking. It says, and he, and he said to all his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? I do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, not, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father who knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. You see, worry and anxiety is a byproduct of you trying to control your life and not giving God control. Worry and anxiety is a byproduct of you trying to control your life and not giving God control. See, true surrender is surrendering all aspects of your life to Him. Everything. We all go on and we also see that the early church play, plead for boldness. We look at verse 29. It says, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So the believers asked to continue to speak the word. Continue to speak your word. So why is that phrase important? This is why it's important. They were already being obedient before they were ever persecuted. They were already being obedient. So what were they being obedient to? They were being obedient to to Jesus' commission when he was ascended into heaven in Matthew 28, he commissioned his disciples to go make disciples of all nations. And that what was they were already doing. So they were being obedient, sharing about Christ, sharing the gospel, being obedient before perse- they were even persecuted. We look at verse 29 again through 30, it says this. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they prayed for two things. They prayed to continue to share the gospel with boldness 
through persecution and healing signs and wonders. They were asking for boldness through persecution. And here's why that's important. They weren't asking, God, can you, can you, can you veer off this persecution? Can you take it away from us? They weren't asking, God, can we hide from this persecution? They were saying, God, help us to be bold through it. Because here's the reality. They understood what Christ was saying when he said, take up your cross and follow me. Understanding that they had to die their self, their own desires, understanding that they potentially will give up their, even their own life for the sake of the gospel of Christ. And so what was the result of this prayer? Verse 31 says, When they had prayed, the place in which they had, were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The result is that the Holy Spirit that was already living inside them gave them boldness to continue to share the gospel. So we see here that the early church did not neglect, when persecution strike, they did not neglect the community of believers. They went to God in prayer and pleaded to him. And lastly, is this. B, they were in complete unity with one another. Complete unity. We like verse 32, it says, Now the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul. Were one heart and soul. Now during this time, it's estimated there's about 20,000 men, women, and children that were believers in this time. Roughly about 20,000. And they were all in complete unity with each other. When you look at the, group, uh, the Greek word soul, it can also be translated into mind. So again, in other words, they were in complete unity. There was no selfishness, envy, bitterness, and dissension among the believers at that time. They were in complete unity. A few weeks ago, I, was, I was just came across an article by uh, Tom Rainer. Uh, Tom Rainer wrote an article just talking about church splits. And this is what he had to say. Church splits are more likely to occur in country club churches. A country club church is a metaphor for a church where many of the members have a sense of entitlement instead of an attitude of service. They pay their dues to get their way, and if they don't get their way on every issue, even minor issues, they may sow the seeds of dissension that leads to a church split. Barner Research Group has shown that there's practically no difference between the divorce rate within the church and outside the church. Almost visibly no difference. You see, dissension among the American church is filtrating our families, outpouring into our church body here in America. Disunity and dissension is the norm among the American church. It's the norm. We look at 1 Corinthians 1.10. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you can be uh, united in the same mind and the same judgment. We go on to verse 
32, it says again, And the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own. They had everything in common. Down to verse 34, it says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to even as any had need. What would the American church look like if we cared more about the needs of others than our own wants and desires? What would the American church look like? What would our community look like if all the churches in our community cared more about the needs of others than their own wants and desires? What would our community look like? You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was just had gone on Google, did a little Google search, and just searching, trying to figure out how maybe if I could find out how many churches are here in our community. So I'm just doing a little Google search, and I'm adding them all up, and we have roughly, just here in Lumberton, across denominations, roughly about 88 churches. Just here in Lumberton, across denominations. So people who call buildings and organizations that call themselves a church, we have about 88 just here in Lumberton. So I was like, let me search a little bit further and see how many we have in Robinson County as a whole. So I'm, I'm searching and I'm adding, and, and I found out we have roughly close to 300, 300 churches across denominations here in Robinson County, close to 300. When I saw that, I was deeply hurt and deeply saddened. And here's why I say that. As you know, we live in a community that has a high poverty rate. As you know, we live in a community that has a drug problem. And you know, as well, we have a community that has a crime problem. We even have a problem when it comes to human trafficking off of 95. We have all those problems within our community. Yet we have 300, about 300 churches, and we have a community that is completely broken. And when I see that, it, it burdens me and saddens me to see that. In Galatians 6, 2, it says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I'm going to finish the two stories I started out at the beginning. I'm going to finish the story of the community church here in America. Now, this church was getting, getting all these different type of political correctness from within the church, outside the church, you know what they eventually did? They caved in. They said, okay. And eventually, as they started caving in all these demands, they started getting to where they stopped believing that the, the Word of God was inerrant and true. You know, and what eventually happened is that church died spiritually and died numerically over a span of about 10 years. It was completely died. Now, this church in Iran, when the pastor and his congregation was in that prison, they were discouraged. They were heartbroken to see that the congregation, the believers in this prison, but that pastor and that group of believers made a decision. They made a decision to come together and plea to God for boldness to speak his word in that prison. And what eventually happened is they start seeing, being able to reach more and more people in that prison for Christ. 
And in fact, they got together and they, they started writing all the memory verses they can think of, writing it down, passing it in the prison. And eventually one of his congregational members that was not in prison managed to get by the guards to give him a Bible written in English. And the guards didn't read English, so they said, okay, just let him, let him go through. And so this, this pastor starts writing books of the Bible, handwriting and translating it into their language. And eventually they had books of the Bible. They had, eventually had multiple copies of the entire Bible handwritten, passing out in this prison. And these guards started noticing this, noticing they were reaching people for Christ. So what they started doing is they started separating them and putting different parts of the prison, completely separating them, and thinking that this, that would end, that would be the end of them sharing their faith. But what actually happened is it gave them a better opportunity to reach sections of the prison they were, didn't have access to. So more and more people were coming to Christ. And these guards were getting so angry and so frustrated, they eventually put this pastor into the worst part of the prison. And this part of the prison had people who were lined up to be executed. In fact, there was roughly a couple murders per week in that section of the prison. That's how bad it was. But this pastor was boldly sharing his faith, even in that section of the prison, reaching people for Christ. And eventually, after years later, they eventually let him and members of his congregation let him out of the prison. And it was, him and his congregation was kicked out of Iran. And what he did when he was kicked out is he went to another Muslim country doing the exact same thing. See, when persecution strikes, we have two choices. We have two choices as a body of believers. We either run to God and each other in complete unity or we give in to persecution and die. Those are two choices we have. My question for us this morning is what church are we going to be? What church are we going to be? See, that question starts with you and it starts with me. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this wonderful day, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity, again, that we can come together and worship you freely. I ask that you just please help us not to take that for granted. I ask that you just please help us to remember those across the world who are constantly dying for their faith day after day. People are dying for the faith. Please help us to understand and pray for them, Lord and understand that our faith has a cost. The gospel has a cost, and sometimes that cost can even be our life. God, I ask you to please break down the walls of pride, break down the walls of selfishness, and please help us to really be a church that is united together to you and to each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram, at Hyde Park Baptist. 